I'm super excited to say that as we have promised, uh, we are growing our uh, chapters and uh, we're very excited about this and so I just keep encouraging you every week uh, pay attention to the A for C chapter page which under join you can find right here A for C chapters it'll bring you to this page if you scroll down just a little bit you just click on your province and it will provide you with the email addresses so that you can uh, communicate with a chapter near you. For those of you who are new, uh, this information should be helpful as well. And then I would really encourage people, because we're going through the vetting process, if you want to be a chapter leader, uh, please register and uh, join, and we will be getting in touch with you within the next few months. It's taken us a little while because we've got a very long list of uh, individuals who have uh, stepped up to join. All right, uh, Sheila always loves it when I give you a reminder that under the Empower Hour, you'll see chat links. It will bring you to this page, and this page provides you all of the pertinent information regarding our special guest. It provides the weekly Empower Hour uh, video. Once we're, we're completed it, it will be uploaded here along with any PowerPoint information and other information regarding our guest. Firstly, it enables the Attorney General to create a 2S LGBTQI plus community safety zone to prohibit within 100 meters of the property any homophobic, transphobic act of intimidation, threat, offensive threats, offensive remarks, protest, disturbance, and distribution of hate propaganda within the meaning of the uh, criminal code. It also comes with it a penalty of $25,000 if prosecuted successfully. Wow. <laughs> Can you believe that? All right. So uh, some of you may have seen this. MPP Kristen Wong Tam introduced a private member's bill uh, to create community safe zones. And she even, even struggles getting through it with the 2SLGBTQ plus uh, alphabet soup uh, list of uh, binary, non-binary genders, etc., and um, to me, this is good news. And I know some of you may not feel that way, but this is a desperate attempt to try to save this sinking ship. There are Canadians now en masse rising up in opposition, rightfully so, against the sexualization of their, our children. And they're trying to mask this still as if it is discriminatory or hate towards these people. And so I, I just wanted you to just take a little look at this image. I just, I really, I can hardly believe uh, that we're having to address this. But when I look at this picture, I'm like, is this a satanic cult? Um, are these people going to a Halloween party? I, I just don't get it. How can they in their, in their right mind think that we as Canadians, as the majority, are going to um, uh, capitulate to this kind of activity? To me, these people look like if they're if they're not dressing up to go somewhere, then they've definitely got mental health issues and 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 they should be getting some assistance. And so to be compelled that we would have to be quiet as uh, these individuals come into our libraries and into our schools and have access to our children. I just don't think so. And when I scrolled through the comments on the Twitter page, there wasn't an ounce of support. But for those of you who are in Ontario, um, this is the time for you to rise up 
and write to your MPPs and say, no way, Jose, no way am I going to allow these people or this little person here, this little MPP, uh, Kristen Wong Tam, to introduce a bill or have this bill passed. This is a community of individuals that are bullies. Uh, there have been many recent attacks against individuals on behalf of trans people. We heard about the horrific shooting in the U.S. where one of these uh, young people, well, it was a younger person, not one of these older adults by the looks of these individuals, except for maybe the person in purple there. I'm not sure. Anyways, you know, shot three innocent, beautiful little children and three adults in that school down in the United States. If there's any protection it's, it, that's needed is the public needs protection from them. So please contact your MPPs. Uh, they don't want you to be able to, I think I wrote it down here just a minute. It would prohibit offensive remarks, protests, or distribution of hate propaganda. Well, you know what happened in British Columbia? A, uh, a, a wonderful lady who ran for school board last fall in Vernon, British Columbia, has had a, a no trespass order filed against her. The RCMP show up at her door. And so the Vernon District School Board, I just even can't believe it when I hear it, had uh, received a notice of liability against uh, the Action for Canada, notice of liability uh, against Soji, the GSAs, Gay Straight Alliances, and these horrific uh, books, uh, pornographic books. And yes, they are por pornographic, despite what an RCMP officer determined in Chilliwack, BC, they're wrong. And I just want you to know I'm challenging that decision because it's not going to stand. These are 100% pornographic books. And so they've put a no trespass order in place. So they would consider a notice of liability that's filled with facts no hate speech whatsoever in it as hate speech. So these people are, are really trying to put a wall of protection around themselves to protect their deviant behavior. And so we have to rise up as Canadians and we really have to continue to have our voice heard. And this is the kind of results we'll get. On the political LGBTQ page, if you go under current issues and down to the bottom, you'll see political LGBTQ. Scroll down the page a little, and I'm trying to keep up all with all the magnificent, wonderful reports coming in, but it ends up that there are over two dozen states that are opposing gender transitioning uh, for minors. Can I hear like a major wahoo? <laughs> it's finally, it's finally happening. Um, so I've reached out to uh, a contact in the U.S. asking for a bit of assistance in um, helping us in Canada uh, put similar things in place. Uh, of course, we've got a lot of problems because of the uh, Liberal and the NDP working together, even though the Conservatives aren't much better. I think, I think we'd have a better chance with them, but it shows it is possible. Uh, the states were ahead of us in all of this deviancy, so they're a little bit ahead of us as well in getting some of this overturned. They're shutting down the transitioning for minors, puberty blockers, and the drag queens. So I say a praise to that. This is the hard work of Canadians uh, stepping up and having their voice heard. We can't sit back at home and complain if we're not out on the front lines doing something about this.
All right, so uh, we are finally recommencing and relaunching our parent meetings. Our goal is to assist parents, grandparents, and guardians by providing resources, support, and solutions to counter the growing assault against our children that is being Im implemented via the education system. Education has become a weapon in the hands of those who believe they have the authority to raise your children how they see fit. The fact of the matter is that parents have the right to decide their children's education and to be personally involved in developing curriculum. The government has rapidly implemented a Marxist agenda using the radical LGBTQ agenda, critical race theory, and climate change propaganda to turn children against their parents and undermine parental authority, never mind traumatizing children, mutilating their bodies, and getting them to believe that the earth will implode or uh, will end in two years. Uh, this is having a major impact on the family and societal norms. And so because of it, Parents feel the urgency to exit the education system, both public and private, and begin the process of homeschooling. So I'll be giving a bit of an update on Tuesday about parent resources. And then Doris, who is the head of our homeschooling as homeschooling parent lead, will be providing information on homeschooling and the beginning steps that you can take in getting your kids out of the education system and into the safety uh, of, of your home. And man, you they can learn more in an hour and a half than they do sitting in class all day. I can guarantee you that. We've got great reports, firsthand reports. Um, even kids that have been homeschooled are providing those testimonies. And I'll talk about that next week on the Empower Hour. We're going to have some of those kids on our show and it's going to just be delightful and it will give encouragement so please be sure to uh, sign up under call to action under weekly emails you can find this link as well as under resources on the parent resource page the Youth Leadership and Speaker Program is starting again. It, it, it will begin on April 21st to May 26th. We sent out a mass email today to let everybody know this is on our parent page. Again, under resources, just uh, scoot down to parent page and you'll get this information. And again, it says here, the key to the future of Canada is our youth. And so we must make it a top priority to invest in them. And so Action for Canada is hosting this training course. Uh, Glynis is just an amazing lady who is uh, instructing the kids. The level two course will include persuasive strategies that youth can use in order to be influencers in the community they live in. All right, uh, I'm just going to uh, just talk about this for a moment because this weekly action goes out separately in a video from the actual Empower Hour uh, video that we'll be posting tomorrow. And so I just want to encourage people, please join the prayer walk for revival. We are going to uh, be going around uh, city halls and uh, school boards, libraries, and we're actually in advance of Pride Month. Can you believe that? We get one day to celebrate Canada and they get a Pride Month. <laughs> it's insane. I can't wait to get good people back into office and we start turning this around. But anyways, I think it's really important that we would go down Pride routes in advance and, and pray over that because prayer moves mountains. And as it says here from Second Chronicles, it goes, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked 
wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. And uh, we've got some real wickedness going on in our land right now. And we need to repent and work towards turning that around. Okay, so we have launched as well this week a new notice of liability against the uh, 15-minute city, smart cities. They're going to start changing the name to try to keep ahead of our notice of liability. But I, I said here, I kind of mock them. Are smart cities really so smart? Do 15-minute cities make them sound smarter? <laughs> the answer is no. It's costing trillions of dollars around the world to implement this nonsense, billions of dollars within your community. And this is why we want you to join an Action for Canada chapter, because we're asking all of our members to get busy, be part of the school board trustee meetings. Yes but also show up at your city council meetings. You need to be opposing this information when they're voting on it. So please spend the time, read the information about the notice of liability. We'll be talking a little bit more about the notice of liability uh, after Tom has provided his presentation. And uh, you know what, Trenzio, I think we'll spend two minutes just going um, over what this uh uh, lady has to say, Secretary General at the United Nations, and then we'll bring Tom on. Thank you. I want to show you what the UN is saying. Melissa Fleming, head of the United Nations Department of Global Communications, admits that the United Nations owns the science and determines what is presented as the alleged truth in partnership with big tech. You know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we, we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science and we think that the world you know, should know it. Remember that when the COVID-19 pandemic first came out, the World Health Organization declared what they called an infodemic, an information pandemic, and they rolled out systems to control public information. We're seeing now that this system of public-private partnership is in fact serving the interests of the party. The party is now the powers be, the United Nations, the WHO, the World Economic Forum, the Agenda 21 or Agenda, Agenda 2030 uh, system that is trying to drive forward a clear program for the world to follow. And a big part of this is the narrative battle, their ability to control public information. All right. So for any of you who think that it's all conspiracy theory, that uh, those of us who believe climate change is a complete hoax, <laughs> all right, that's right from the horse's mouth. Always go straight to the horse's mouth. There it is right at the UN. Oh, all of this terrible misinformation at the top of Google when you go to search climate change. Oh, could you believe it? It wasn't the UN propaganda. We better fix that. So they got busy with Google and, uh, you know, of course, are fixing all the algorithms and the search engine and making sure that you don't find the truth. A lot more people, even in the government, agree with us than we really understand. You know, I'll tell you, it's not a secret because, of course, this won't be a secret, but there are people on the Ottawa Council 
who completely agree with us, okay? And they tell us this quietly, okay? And they encourage us to keep doing it. And, mm-hmm. and I was really inspired because you get the impression that it's kind of a monolithic left-wing woke bunch. But no, there's quite a few counselors, even in Ottawa, who understand, uh-oh, I don't know if I like this. So they're happy. Actually, I said quietly, they are, they're happy that we're continuing to do this and we will keep doing it. And, you know, so we give them the strength. When we get up and we talk about, you know, proper exactly. reports and real, it, it gives them the strength to start to say to their fellow counselors, do we really want to do this? And I think we have to remember what previous generations fought to defend. You know, I have this picture of my grandfather, uh, World War I grandfather. It, he's always looking down at me. Great guy. I loved him. And um, he was World War I. He was in the trenches. He went through incredible times. He was left for dead in the trench, et cetera. I'll share you his book. He actually finally wrote a book about it. But um, those kinds of people risked their lives and in many cases lost their lives to defend our freedom. Most people in Canada, they won't even get up and argue with a school board trustee. I mean, he would be really offended by the fear and cowardice of most Canadians. And he would really, really like your group. (laughs) There's no question (laughs) about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, his name was Charles Savage and he was Sergeant Savage. He was a savage, you know. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so his book is actually quite an inspiration because it makes you realize what previous generations did to give us this freedom. And we have to stand up for it. They expect us to do it. Before my dad passed away at the age of 95, he was in World War II. He said, you know, I had my war. You have your war. Win it. Mm -hmm. Win it. Tom Harris, of course, is a purveyor of great truth. He's a man of great wisdom and knowledge. So Tom Harris is the executive director of International Climate Science Coalition Canada and is a well-respected man of many talents and extensive knowledge. He has over 40 years experience as a mechanical engineer and project manager. He is a science and technology communications professional, and he was an advisor to a former opposition environmental environment critic in Canada's Parliament. For over 20 years, Mr. Harris has been working with a team of scientists and engineers to promote a sensible approach to a range of energy and environmental topics, in particular what they call climate change. He is committed to educating and empowering parents in an effort to protect their children from the alarmist, unscientific climate change propaganda being promoted in schools all across our nation. At one time, Tom believed that our world was facing a carbon dioxide-induced climate emergency. But over time, he realized he was wrong in this assumption and he changed from a climate alarmist to a climate realist. Tom now does radio and TV interviews and presentations. He has appeared in thousands of times online, online news forums, and he is regularly published in newspapers in Canada, the U.S., and abroad. So welcome, Tom. I'm so glad to have you on the show. It is a pleasure to have you. You're a reoccurring guest, and uh, you are highly, uh, highly experienced to talk on this issue, and I'm really excited to uh, see your presentation and learn more about what's going on in our schools. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so first of all, Uh, Welcome, freedom fighters, fellow freedom fighters. I mean, I love to be able to say that at the beginning of meetings. And I should tell you that I've been boosting Action for Canada in presentation after presentation across Canada to uh, Citizens of Liberty, to the Climate Life, or sorry, the Citizens Life Coalition, all sorts of groups. Uh, 
So I'm really a fan of your group. I first became aware that the climate education that kids were getting in school was perhaps not particularly balanced. And I'll tell you when I first came across this, and this was in, in around 20 years ago, I was speaking at high schools quite often, actually. And uh, I guess I spoke to about 25 high schools about climate change. And the kids really enjoyed it because, of course, they like to question authority. And, you know, I made the presentations fun. And then one day, a principal called me just before I was due to speak at his school. And he said, Tom, I'm afraid I'm going to have to cancel your talk. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, I just got an email from a woman at the school board who says that because what I'm saying is not government policy, I'm not to be allowed to speak to the students. And so that was the end of my speaking to students. And I'm going to have to start again because maybe there'll be different personalities. Who knows? But I realized, uh-oh, they're trying to censor things. Then perhaps about 12 years ago, I went to a parent-teacher night for my daughter, who's now 29. And it was a biology teacher. And we all sat in the seats, you know, as if we were students. And I put up my hand and I said, are you going to teach the both sides of the climate issue? And the biology teacher was horrified. She, oh, my God, we're not going to teach the deniers, you know. And so it was pretty clear that I better just shut up because I didn't want to prejudice my daughter's uh, grading and stuff. Just a few years ago, a friend of mine came from Egypt. He's got a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering, and he properly explained to his son that the climate scare was largely a hoax. And so his son came to me and he said, you know, what should I do? Because in the school system, we're being given all this propaganda and I'm afraid to stand up against it because I might make my teacher angry. And I said, yeah, that's a that's a good point. And I think you really should be quiet about it, but learn yourself so that you realize that most of what you're being taught is propaganda. And so, you know, I think at this point there are ulterior there are alternative ways to help protect our children without expecting our children to stand up and say, hey, teacher, you're wrong. So that's what I'm going to go through today. And to give you a, a bit of a snapshot as to what's happening in schools, I understand, across Canada, I've picked one province. I picked British Columbia because, of course, you're based in BC with Tanya. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what's in their curriculum and I'd invite people to take this as kind of a red flag to show what you should be looking for in other provinces. Okay, so if you're in Nova Scotia, for example, or Alberta, uh, these are the kinds of things that you have to look for to understand whether you're going to be getting an unbiased view for your students or whether, in fact, it's going to just be propaganda. And I should point out one of the reasons I'm dark, uh, I'm actually in the dark, and I have jackets is because our power's been out for a few hours. Because, of course, they were so focused on stopping climate change, they didn't bury our cables underground. So, uh, <laughs> obviously, if they want to prepare for climate change, that would be a good first step. You know, I, I would just like to tell you, it's interesting because Hurricane Sandy, when it hit New York City, you know, most of the city lost power, they lost internet, they lost lights, you know, everything. But one area of Manhattan never lost anything. And it's because all their cables were buried underground. So, of course, there are things we can do to protect ourselves against climate change, but we can't stop it. So I'm going to share some slides here and talk about what's going on in B.C. And again, this is a template. You know, when you these slides will be shared, you can actually get in them and use them and share them with other, others if you like. And when you see the kinds of things that B.C. are doing, it'll help you be alert to what could be happening in your province and probably is. So here we go. I'll share my screen, my first screen here. 
climate propaganda in Canadian schools and how to fight it. Okay, and it's, again, I'm using BC as an example. Now, you might say, well, why is this important? Well, it's very important, and here's the reason why. In particular, and I'll just get my slide going here. Yeah, here we go. We're finding there's huge climate anxiety among children. And I'm going to go into more details about this later, but climate anxiety affects the daily life of nearly half of young people. This is what they found in a survey that was done in 10 countries with thousands and thousands of children. Most said they believe the future is frightening. Okay, so what is frightening them? So we're going to look at that. Why are they frightened? Part of it is the education system. And here, for example, is the uh, K, uh, the uh, British Columbia webpage that you get to when you talk about climate education in BC. And you know right away that something's wrong because we're going to analyze. This is their fundamental baseline statements. Okay, I, I actually pulled it out. They said throughout BC and around the world, people and communities are experiencing the effects of climate change. Well, duh, that's like saying they're experiencing the effects of gravity. I mean, climate changes all the time. From increasing wildfires, changes to ecosystems, loss of species. Of course, we're seeing changes to ecosystems and nature wipes out species. I mean, 99% of all the species, 99.99 of all the species that ever existed on Earth are extinct now. So, of course, those are natural things as well. However, frequent flooding, sea level rise, longer summer droughts and heat waves. So we have to ask, if this is the foundation on which the whole plan is based, okay, this is their touchstone. This is what they're assuming is true. Let's look at them and see if they really are true. And then let's look at the BC curriculum on these different items, okay? So here we go. This is the total area in hectares, number of forest fires in Canada. And they say that they're increasing. Well, they're not. Okay, it just simply isn't true. <laughs> and there's all kinds of reasons for that. But regardless, that fact is wrong. Well, what about more flooding? Well, the BC government, this is their climate education webpage, says that there's lots more flooding. Well, that's not true. Floods have always been with us in history, and nothing we're seeing now is abnormal. In fact, even data from Environment Canada since the 1950s has shown that there's been no significant change to the frequency of flooding. The UN itself admits, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, that there's no increase in climate-driven changes in the magnitude and frequencies of floods in the 20th and 21st centuries around the world. So, wow, BC government are just making this up for their students. The deadliest flood in Canadian history was back in 1954 with Hurricane Hazel. Okay, so that point, flooding, no, you're wrong. <laughs> well, what about sea level rise? Well, no, it's not abnormal. Sea level's been rising since the end of the last glacial, about 15,000 years ago. And it's interesting that 8,000 years ago, sea level was rising 10 times faster than today because there was a huge volume of ice that had yet to be melted. Okay, so people complain about sea level rise. Well, yeah, 8,000 years ago it was a problem. Now it's 7 to 10 inches per century. And if you can't adapt to that, then you shouldn't live that close to the ocean. Here, in fact, shows the actual change in sea level as determined by tide gauges and satellites. And you can see it's a gradual rise over the last century and a half. Uh, there's nothing going on, okay? This is normal. This is what you'd expect after a glacial. And as I say, this is much, much less than it was 8,000 years ago, one-tenth the rate. So oceans have risen only about nine inches in the last 140 years. Okay, that's equivalent to the thickness of several pieces of paper per year. Oh my God, it's a crisis. 
<laughs> and reliable satellite data of the last 40 years confirms that this rise is about one to two millimeters per year. Okay, so we're talking about tiny, tiny sea level rise, certainly nothing catastrophic. And uh, it's uh, relatively simple to compensate for such modest sea level changes with appropriate adaptation measures. Okay, and you choose where to build, recognizing that there's one to two millimeter change per year to sea level. And of course, it largely depends on where you are. Okay, I mean, there are some places like in Nova Scotia where uh, sea level appears to be rising faster than the global average, but it's because the land is subsiding. Okay, and this typically happens when a glacier retreats. You have, first of all, the massive weight of the glacier. And remember, remember, we're talking about two kilometers thick ice. Okay, massive weight. The ground initially rebounds and then it go goes down again afterwards. Well, right now we're in this sort of rebound phase. The, the glacier left 15,000 years ago. It's, it went up at first and then it settles down again. We're in this settling down phase. So a lot of the sea level rise that we see is in fact not sea level rise, it's ground falling. Here's sea level rise at several of the world's largest cities, okay, around the world. And you can see there's nothing unusual going on. It's just the standard reduction that you'd expect. Well, what about the Maldives? Oh my God, the Maldives are sinking. Oh, these people are gonna be climate refugees. <laughs> well, that's not true either. Yeah, on the uh, horizontal axis, uh, you can see these are thousands of years ago. Okay, so up here is 5,000 years ago, and here's 1,000 years ago, and here is the present. And you can see today, there's really not much going on, okay? The sea level was much higher many times in the past, and the Maldives didn't sink. The reason for that, of course, is simple, and that is that the coral grows faster than the sea rises, okay? so. Remember, this is a living substance that's, that these islands are on. And, you know, there are some islands where, in fact, the coral is being degraded, but that's because of pollution, domestic pollution, which is killing the coral, and also because they've taken breakwaters, which were designed for the Mediterranean, which is uh, a rocky coast, and they've put them on the shores of some of these coral islands to keep the nutrient, so, sorry, to keep the beach uh, from washing away. The trouble is that interferes with the flow of nuclear, um, uh, nutrient-rich water. So in fact, the coral dies. So once again, they're doing it to themselves. <laughs> We're not doing it. It's not climate change. It's not fossil fuels. So yeah, we might decide to aid them, but not out of guilt. We're just simply not doing it. What about heat waves? Okay, climate alarmists, because remember the BC webpage talked all about extreme heat and all that. They say that we're living in the hot, hottest decade ever. In fact, it was the dust bowls in the mid-1930s that's the hottest decade. And that was the time when carbon dioxide, which is supposedly causing climate change, was only about 300 parts per million, far below the 420 today. And here's a general overview, okay? Dr. Craig Idso, a lead author with the Climate Change Reconsidered series of reports, which I love, and you can check them out at climatechangereconsidered.org. Um, he basically said, given what is compiled in these reports and thousands of peer-reviewed scientific references therein, I can tell you with complete confidence that there's no, absolutely no observational evidence that provides any compelling support for the contention that there's something unusual, unnatural, or unprecedented about Earth's current warmth. <laughs> and he goes on to say, neither are there any real-world data that converts the that confirm that floods, droughts, wildfire, hurricanes are becoming either more frequent or severe as a result of global warming. So, uh, BC, everything you're saying on your webpage, at the very beginning, 
before you before you get into the curriculum, their foundation on which they're basing the whole thing is entirely wrong. Nevertheless, the BC government webpage says that kindergarten, starting as early as kindergarten through grade 12 education system, is rising to the challenge of educating students to build climate resiliency in uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, this this really is is ridiculous. I mean, and, and here's one of the things that really, really kind of alarms me and I think should make people quite mad says work is underway to highlight and expand existing curricular opportunities and to further support climate education in BC. Now, here's the critical part, and this sounds like right out of communist China. The Ministry of Education and Child Care is partnering with the BC Climate Action Secretariat to, in, and look at this, I bolded this, to ensure kindergarten to grade 12 education remi- remains aligned with provincial climate strategies okay, and help students and others understand climate impacts, et cetera. In other words, this is just simply government propaganda, okay? They say, actually, in the curriculums that we're going to go over in a minute, and by the way, do alert me when I get to 40 minutes, because I don't have any clock, because there's no power here, uh, except for what I have plugged into my battery. Um, and by the way, we my daughter bought a 100-pound lithium battery, and I'll tell you, it's pretty incredible. 48 more hours of operation running my modem and running um, running my computer and my light and a few other things. So, uh, but it was expensive. So, so yeah, this really concerns me. And I think it really should concern everybody that they are specifically ensuring and working with the government's climate action secretariat. It's not climate education secretariat, it's climate action to ensure that your children's education is in line with the provincial climate strategies. Whoa, okay. Our objective is to work with our many partners to further emphasize climate change education in student learning across grades K to 12 while ensuring, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the next part. Um, They partnered with the CAS and the BC Teachers Federation to run two teacher focus groups. These sessions examined how BC's curriculum currently supports climate change education and explored ways to support and enhance the curriculum, et cetera. Now, here are the groups they're working with. And first of all, I wanted to show you a pamphlet. Remember, it's the Climate Action Secretariat. (laughs) They made a pamphlet for BC teachers. And let's have a look at it and see what they're being told that they should be bringing up with their students. Well, here's the first page of it. And look across the top. BC's climate is already changing. And of course, the whole thing is propaganda. Less snow, fewer frost days, blah, 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 sea level rise. Some of this is, is yeah, of course, there's sea level rise. And there has been for thousands of years. But the implication, of course, is that this is really bad. So let's zoom in on a couple of things here. Uh, here's the second page, for example. Um, very much as if you would expect to see this from a Greenpeace organization. Okay, not from a government group telling teachers how to teach. And I'm going to zoom in on two elements here in the lower left-hand corner. Okay, it says they want you to actually focus on a UN, oh gosh, yeah, UN Climate Change Learn Teacher teacher Portal, okay? <laughs> and they even have a special section on climate anxiety. And, and you're going to be interested to see what the recommendation of experts is as to how to help solve this climate anxiety. Because what they're doing, and again, this is supposed to be science education. They're saying a toolkit for teachers on turning anxiety into action. Okay, they're trying to turn the students into little climate change activists. 
Okay, and you're going to see that repeatedly throughout the curriculum. Action, action, action. Okay, so this is not education. This is not even science. This is uh, politics, quite frankly. It's politically correct activism. Let's take a look at the other side. You can see it again. Educated, empowered, and engaged youth for a resilient future. So they want the students to get out there. I was watching an interview with a professor of education just yesterday on CTV, and he was talking about how students are being encouraged to write letters to their MPs, okay, to write letters to government officials. So they're not just teaching them science, which, of course, would be uh, teaching them both sides of issues and let them make up their own mind. They're pushing them to be climate activists. Here's the next page. Master of Disaster Youth Education Program. Well, no wonder they're depressed. <laughs> okay, this is what they're being taught as early as grade four, designed to help young people learn about emergency preparedness. Okay, and we go down here, climate change adaptation. Oh, my God. You know, Master of Disaster. Yeah, of course they're going to be scared. <laughs> And again, who are they meeting with? The, the you know, the school authorities, uh, Ministry of Education. We continue to meet with student activists. So that's nice. Education partners, post-secondary institution and youth advocacy groups. And here's the other thing right out of 1984. <laughs> Education ministry is promoting climate change in the BC curriculum as a holistic subject that cuts across all grades and learning areas. So presumably that means you're going to have people playing the flute. Uh, thinking about climate change, okay, in the music class and in gym, they're going to be running up and down laps, you know, to save the climate. I mean, it is really, I mean, you talk about the march of the institutions, it shows very, very clearly how extreme left have completely and totally taken over our education system in BC. And I suspect the same all across Canada. And that's why I encourage people to have a look and see if you see these things in your own province's curriculum for education. I think we should be very angry about this, okay? Because they're using our education system to push government propaganda. They're doing it, they're, they're using our education system to push students to become activists, okay? To speak out on a particular issue on one side only. And I think it's quite legitimate to be quite angry about this. Climate change is now the required learning standard throughout the province from kindergarten to grade 10. And there are several specialized courses that I'm going to look at the curriculum with you right now uh, to show you what's going on. And again, this is BC, but I'm sure this is in every other province. So this is the kind of things to look out for. Here we talk about Earth Sciences 11. So let's zoom in on one section here. The transfer of energy through the atmosphere creates weather, and this transfer is affected by climate change. Yeah, okay, that's true. But let's see. Oh. This is a sample question they're supposed to ask the students as part of that learning objective. It says, why are extreme weather events predicted to become more frequent in the future? Well, well, that's kind of a leading question. I mean, how do you answer that if you don't think extreme weather events are likely to become more frequent in the future? But, and they aren't, okay? Because even with the UN climate models, the forecast is that it would warm most in high latitude regions. And so what you would see is less temperature difference, let's say, between the Yukon and BC. And since it's that temperature difference that drives weather of all kinds, extreme and otherwise, yes, extreme weather is going to reduce if we actually if we even believe that the UN's forecasts are right about climate change. Now, let's look down here again. This is a, a core le learning standard. I'll see if I can. I can't actually move that. But. Uh, let's see, what does it say at the top? Content, I can't read it. There's something blocking it. Who can, who can see this? 
says content. I guess that's all it says. Content learning, learning standards. standards. Oh, okay, good. I can see it now. Okay, so you can see they're really getting into climate change, okay? Um, and interestingly enough, throughout a lot of the science education is first people's knowledge, which I would have thought would be a, more of a social science thing. But they're saying, you know, to treat first people's knowledge as actual science, which is interesting. I hadn't heard of it done in that way before. And again, they're talking about ocean acidification. So in the last 200 years, the pH of the ocean has changed on average. And of course, it's it's not really very meaningful because no fish or plant, you know, living in the ocean lives in the ocean average. It really only matters what's happening in regions. But regardless, it's only changed by 0.1 in 200 years. So ocean acidification, you know, it's interesting because in the case of ocean acidification, the ocean in many regions, the pH changes by more uh, in the course of a day, just normal variation, than the worst forecasts the UN have for the 21st century. And obviously the ocean creatures adapt quite fine. I mean, that's their natural environment. Okay, let's go a little further on the far right here. Personal and social scientific understanding enables humans Two, and here are the sample questions you're supposed to ask. I'll see if, it, if it's a bit bigger here. Yeah, there we go. How do your actions affect the world around you? Fine. What are the causes of forest fires and flooding in the province? Well, of course, <laughs> given what the province is already saying, you can pretty well guess what they're going to tell students. And how do local actions affect global weather? Now, that's a stupid question for a number of reasons. There's no such thing as global weather. What is global weather? <laughs> weather is what happens locally right now around where you live. And your local actions are not going to affect, you know, local weather, global weather, whatever, even if global weather existed, which it doesn't. So this is a really stupid question and highly biased, of course, because, of course, a student might say, well, it doesn't affect global weather. It doesn't affect global anything. Okay, now here's what you're expected to do. Okay, they're expected to do these kinds of things or be able to do it. Uh, applying and innovating. Design a residential subdivision plot that uses solar and photovoltaic modules for its energy need. The question is not to the student, is it possible to run a residential subdivision with solar and wind and not have regular blackouts? They don't, they assume it is. And they tell the students they have to design a residential subdivision to actually provide the energy needs, which isn't possible, by the way, because they're so intermittent. Use social media to communicate how a particular action impacts climate change. Again, this is activism. This isn't science. Natural hazards, okay? Uh, they're talking about various things, weather events and causes. You can see they're obviously going to get into more of the climate stuff. You wait, but this, this is, uh, these are minor. When I get to the last course, it's going to blow you away. It's like Greenpeace 101. And the effects of climate change, <laughs> impacts on weather, <laughs> sea level, et cetera. <clears throat> I think you should be starting to get angry because this isn't science. This isn't education. This is activism. Let's look at environmental sciences 12, okay? You can see various things here. I'll zoom in on one. Human activities cause changes in the global climate system. Um, that was supposed to be a big idea, okay? That sounds like a big propaganda, but let's zoom on that and see what they say. Here are the questions they say that should support student inquiry into that area, okay? How do changes in the composition of the atmosphere lead to changes in global climate? Well, you can be sure any student like my young Arab friend, the guy from Egypt, 
Um, if he got up and said, uh, well, it doesn't, I'm <laughs> sure that would go over like a lead balloon. What are some of the human activities that contribute to climate change? Which of your actions contribute to climate change? Doesn't say, do your actions contribute to climate change? They're assuming they do, okay? So <laughs> they're actually asking which of your actions. Well, of course, the answer is none, zero. I mean, your actions don't contribute to climate change, period. I mean, it's just stupid. How do the emissions of electric vehicles differ from those of internal combustion engine vehicles? Well, again, you can be sure that's ripe for propaganda. The fact is you've got to drive an electric vehicle for something like 70,000 miles before it starts to equate to the emissions of an internal combustion engine vehicle because of the high energy intensity used in making the the, uh, I, the electric vehicles and batteries, okay? And they never count that. In Ottawa, they call them zero emission buses. And when I testified before the Environment Committee, I said, they're not zero emission buses because they take so much energy to make, okay? By the time this thing is on the showroom floor, it's used much, much more greenhouse gases than a normal car, a normal bus. Okay, now what's the thing here? Students are expected to be able to do the following, questioning and predicting. This doesn't sound like much questioning to me. How can you decrease your personal contribution to greenhouse gas emissions? Okay, so they're assuming that that's even worth even thinking about. I mean, no wonder the students are so depressed. I mean, if this is the kind of thing that's being pushed, you know, a lot of them must recognize that as one person out of 8 billion in the world, when most of the emissions comes from the developing world, they must I mean, the students are not stupid, and they must realize their personal contribution is zilch, okay? This is an interesting one. How much of your diet is produced within 100 kilometers of your home? Well, I think that's a good thing for food security, but in fact, it could end up producing more greenhouse gases, more pollution, because it's being uh, produced in a, you know, it, it, here's, here's the story. If you're trying to grow food in a relatively cold climate like Canada, you need a lot more fertilizer. You need to grow more things in greenhouses, things like that. If you're growing it in Costa Rica, you don't need as much artificial support to actually have uh, the same crop. So even counting the transportation costs, you can actually have circumstances where it's more environmentally friendly to bring your food in from a distant place where it's easy to grow food. But you'd have to analyze that on a crop by crop basis, look at how it's actually made. But the general philosophy that it's always better from a pollution and greenhouse gas point of view to eat locally isn't actually applied, isn't, doesn't make sense. But again, it does make sense from the point of view of food security. What are the differences between anthropogenic and natural sources of CO2? Well, that's not too bad a question. Ah, here we go. More activism. Which bylaws would you recommend to your community to reduce greenhouse gas production? This is supposed to be science. Okay, this is the science curriculum in BC. Okay, how, how do local trends in land use align with and respond to global climate change? Well, they have no effect. <laughs> okay, so it's all propaganda. How would you advocate for additional bike lanes in your community as a mechanism to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? Well, maybe that would be an appropriate question for a political science course. But again, what's this doing in physical science? How, and here's the plastic bag issue. I don't know if you heard George Carlin when he talked about plastic bags. You have to remember, of course, plastic is inert, okay? It's not a pollutant. It could be a problem if, if it you know, gets ingested by a fish. But you might remember he said, if I remember rightly, he said, save the whales, save the snails, save the trees, save the bees, save the planet. What? 
The planet's been through a lot worse than us. It's had thousands of years of asteroid bombardment, lava covering half of continents, and we're worried about a few plastic bags? Well, <laughs> apparently that is now part of the science education in British Columbia. This is environmental activism. Whether you agree with it or not, it has no place in a science course. The students are expected to know the following. Impacts of global warming. They're not being asked, are they increasing extreme weather events, desertification, ocean acidification, and all these things? They're just being told it, okay? This is the truth. 1984, okay. Uh, the same slide. <laughs> Mitigation. Address the causes of climate change. Emissions reduction. Okay, so again, they're assuming that everything they're saying is right, that they should move over to wind and solar power, etc. Uh, this is the diet thing. I won't say any more about that. So no wonder kids are worried. I think it's worth looking at this poll in more in more detail because it, I, I hope it gives people an incentive to not only help educate their children so they aren't so worried, but also to go to school boards and say, you know, you are teaching our children to be frightened of the future, and this poll supports it, okay? And here is the poll. This is a press release from University of Bath in the United Kingdom. And the interesting thing is the way they interpret this poll. I would interpret a poll like this to say, hey, we're scaring the heck out of children. Let's divert them to other things and let them grow up. Okay, let them be children in kindergarten and actually have fun. Okay, learn a musical instrument, learn to play guitar, you know, do things to help uh, develop their personality and their strength and their, their character instead of worrying about climate change. Well, Here's what the recommendations are. First of all, the study was based on surveys. It's a big study, the biggest of its kind that I'm aware of. 10,000 children and young people, 16 to 25, across 10 countries. It didn't include Canada, but it did include the United States, the United Kingdom, and other countries similar to Canada. So I'm sure these trends are, are similar. They found that 75% of young respondents believe the future is frightening. Now, that's, a, that's really bad news, Okay. There's a professor at the University of Minnesota, and she actually says, she's a professor of education, she says that Ruth Ann, and I can't remember her last name, but she says a lack of positive vision of alternative futures is in itself a threat to survival. Okay, now, obviously, she means from a societal point of view, but I think from an individual's point of view, as long as they consider the future is scary, and it's negative and that, my God, we've got to stop this. Or the, or, you know, the earth is going down the drain. Well, of course, they're going to be depressed. It found for the first time that climate distress and anxiety is significantly related. What? To perceived government inaction and the associated feelings of betrayal? Like, um, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, most of the kids don't understand what the government are doing in kindergarten. OK, so the idea that climate distress is because of government inaction. I mean, that's stupid. And here's what the um, various students have said. This this shows what's really going on. I'll just take a break here and let you read that, because this is really alarming to see students saying this. And by the way, you can hear my battery. It's obviously getting excited it says i have 3. Point hours 3.2 hours to go so i better not stay on too long <laughs> okay so this poor girl she's grew up being afraid of drowning in my own bedroom okay and blah 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 and to truly adjust address our glowing we need justice well she's 23 so i could understand her feeling the need for government action but why is this being taught to 
you know, grade five. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Here's another one. Uh, a 19-year-old, she's a climate activist, I went through phases of feeling utterly helpless in face of immense problems and would launch myself into things, blah, 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 okay? It's so damaging. Hope needs to come from palpable action, okay? So this is what is in the report, actually. It's in the press release from University of Bath. Now, as I say, they found that there was widespread psychological distress among young people, okay? High level of distress. Now, let's see what the researchers actually recommended as a solution to this. This will blow your mind because it shows how they will take anything and use it to push their agenda. Experts warn that because, and it's hard to read, government inaction on climate change is psychologically damaging is potentially amounts to a violation of international human rights. And here's what one of the lead authors said. This study paints a horrific picture of widespread, widespread climate anxiety in our children and young people. Okay, right. It suggests for the first time that high levels of psychological distress in youth is linked to government inaction? Like, again, what does a kid in grade three know about government action? Anyway, it suggests for the first time, um, sorry, our children's anxiety is a completely rational reaction. Given the inadequate responses to climate change they're seeing from governments, what more do governments need to here to take action? So they're using the anxiety of children, which they're causing because of their huge exaggeration and point blank lies about climate change. They're using it as an excuse to do what? To actually bring in more climate change action education. Okay, and that's the other thing that should make you really mad. They know that the children are scared about this. They know they're they're really upset and they're using this to actually push the fact that more climate education has to happen in schools instead of tell tell children, look, you're in grade three, go and have fun. Go out to the playground, play basketball, you know, play with your friends, forget about this climate issue. A lot of it's grossly exaggerated, but, you know, just go and enjoy your life. Well. How do we protect young people against it? And I'll end the presentation with these things because I've totally lost track of time since I don't have a functional clock. Uh, I don't think we want to get the kids to stand up and contest the teachers. I think that's a great way to end up with a poor grade. However, we can quietly show them the other side of the story. And by the way, that's the name of my radio show on the AmericaOutloud.com webpage. And uh, if you go there, we get about 50,000 listeners uh, per show, which is pretty good. And you should direct them to climate realist information, encouraging them to see things in perspective. And perspective is like really critical on this. For example, their show, this sort of thing is, oh my God, temperature is going through the roof. It's all, well, of course, two things to show them perspective. One of them is look at this, that's a half a degree, okay? My room probably warmed up despite the power being out uh, more than a degree with me getting so excited. But if you actually plot this on a, graph of meaningful vertical axis um, coordinates, here's what you see, okay? If you go from zero to 110, which is a typical range of temperature in a place like uh, degrees Fahrenheit, in a place, place like Vancouver, that's what the temperature rise looks like over the last 142 years. Okay, and you show your students this. Say, so, you know, you gotta realize this is almost, well, you wouldn't even feel it in your entire lifetime. Okay, the second thing they should do, parents should do, I think, and for their nieces and nephews, explain the role of propaganda in creating fear and government control in our lives. Now, I don't think this is something appropriate to teach to grade three, but certainly for grade eight and above, 
Yeah, teach them about how government uses propaganda as a mechanism of control. And for the older students, you know, in senior high school and in their 20s, reading 1984 would be a good step forward. And they can see much of what was in 1984 happening right now. And in particular, if they don't have time to read the whole book, at least go to the appendix number one. Appendix number one is new speak. And it shows how the government changes the language of the discussion to specifically push an agenda. And they've done that all through the climate issue. They call it clean energy, when in fact, wind and solar power, if you look at Michael Moore's film, Planet of the Humans, you can see it's probably the dirtiest energy on the planet. They call it green energy. Now, that's a bit of a joke because carbon dioxide is plant food. So the real green energy would, in fact, be sources that put out as much carbon dioxide as possible. So, so that's wrong, too. And, of course, they talk about carbon pollution when, in fact, it's not pollution. And on and on and on. I mean, climate change is real. What a stupid statement. I heard that statement three times yesterday in a webinar put on by the city of Ottawa about their climate change master plan. They kept saying climate change is real, is real, is real. And, and you think, oh, my God, that's like right out of 1984, you know, and it's just such a stupid statement. But regardless, educate your children, okay? Last thing is encourage them to ask revealing questions in class. Now, these are not confrontational questions. These are questions which at least subconsciously can get other students to get a little bit more perspective, okay? But it doesn't actually make the student look like a denier by asking these questions. And here's a couple of samples. How much has it warmed across the world since 1880? The teacher, if they knew the answer, would have to say, well, just over one degree C. And of course, that goes into a kid's brain and says, huh, one degree C, eh? Okay, it doesn't sound like an emergency to me, but they won't say that, but it goes in, okay? Here's another one. How Has carbon dioxide ever been as high as today in the past? <laughs> Well, if the teacher's being honest, she would say or he would say, yes, in fact, we're at one of the lowest levels of CO2 in Earth's history. What happened when CO2 was higher in the past than it is today, Mr. or Mrs. Teacher? Uh, well, temperature was all over the map, okay? And I'm going to show you exactly that. Watch this. Average global temperature is blue. Atmospheric CO2 is red. Now watch. Oh, we're going to see a great correlation. If the climate activists are right, then CO2 should go up and temperature should follow shortly after. And by the way, we're down here at 420 parts per million now, okay? That's where we are right now. So let's watch what happens over the longest. So let's just take a look. Okay, here we go. Okay, look at that. Really super high CO2, temperature didn't change. Ah, now look at that. I'm, I wanna talk about that specifically. Well, you can see the rest of it unfold. And what you'll see is there's no correlation. Sometimes they're down together. Sometimes they're up together. Sometimes they're going in the opposite direction. Sometimes they're completely disconnected. But this one's quite interesting. And this was the first step for me to become a climate realist. What you see here is that we were in the coldest period. And in fact, it was called a cold house period. It was longer and colder than an ice age. In a cold house period, you can have as well, some scientists think the whole planet was covered with ice, including the oceans. But look at the CO2 level. It was over 4,000 parts per million. <laughs> it was 10 times what it is today. Okay. And that started me thinking, oh, like, duh, that doesn't seem to match. <laughs> and, and of course, that's the reason they don't bring geologists in when they talk about climate change, the media and others, because geologists know that CO2 and, and temperature are not 
correlated in the geologic record. And in fact, CO2 is very low by today's standards. And we're also in a relatively cool period. By the way, we are currently in an ice age. Okay, an ice age is any time when there is permanent ice cover on the planet. We're not in a glacial because within the ice age, you have glacials that last for as much as 100,000 years and then warm periods called interglacials that we're in now. We may be nearing the end of one because we're uh, we're a good 10,000 years into it, okay? Actually, 15,000 years. So here's another question. When were the most extreme weather records set in the historical record, Mr. Teacher or Mrs. Teacher? And if they're answering honestly, it would be in the dirty 30s, in the 1930s. How well did previous forecasts of impending climate or environmental catastrophe match with what really happened? Um, now, that'll be interesting to see if the teacher even knows the answer. But as you can see here, there's been all kinds of forecasts. We have 10 years to stop catastrophe. We shall win or lose the climate struggle in the first years of the 1990s. And it goes on and on and on. And you can read this later because these slides will be shared. But if they're being honest, they would have to show that of all the climate forecasts, I think I was reading there were 41 major climate forecasts. Epoch Times had a really good feature in last week's issue in which they showed these various forecasts and their record was 0 for 41. <laughs> and yet they wanted to spend trillions of dollars based on their forecasts of the future using the same models that didn't work in the past. Oh yeah, brilliant. Here's another one. Why, why do greenhouse operators pump CO2 into greenhouses, Mr. Teacher? Well, the answer is because plants grow faster and need less water. As a result of rising CO2 in the atmosphere, NASA tells us that we've seen a great greening of the Earth. Okay? Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. So, in conclusion, I think besides asking these innocuous questions, probably not doing them all in the same day, or the student might actually be accused of being a denier, I think we really have to encourage them to forget completely about this climate issue and get involved in things that enrich their bodies and enrich their minds, okay? And for those of you who are activists who actually have the strength and the time, going to a school board meeting, I think, makes sense to actually ask them, why are you only teaching one side of the climate issue? And why are you scaring children so much? And actually cite this report that showed that you know, a vast majority of students are, are really scared by this. And, and what are you doing pushing them in science classes to take action? I mean, th that's not a science thing to do. That's not a science course, course topic. Why are you pushing them to be activists? So in general, I think that the climate propaganda that we see in BC is really kind of a red flag for people in all provinces. Take a look at the curriculums on your province's website and see if you see similarities to what I just showed you. I'm sure you do. Uh, certainly my experience here in Ontario indicates that it's almost certainly just as bad. But the bottom line is, yeah, it's serious. It's really serious. We're teaching children basically to be frightened of the future. We're teaching them to take action on things where they really cannot have any effect. And uh, we're scaring the heck out of them. And I think we should be very concerned about this. All right. Wow. <laughs> oh, Tom, that was just so well done. And I've been watching the comments as well and uh, really appreciate. I can just only imagine the time it took you to put that information together. And, you know, in my uh, weekly update, just prior to bringing you on, I was mentioning how we're having 
you know, the parent, we're recommencing the uh, parent meetings. And uh, one of the reasons is because of this propaganda in the school, it's just not isolated to this radical trans LGBTQ agenda that wants to, you know, remove our the, our children's reproductive uh, parts for glo- global population control. But there's so much surrounding the climate change as well. I mean, the ramifications of kids being so afraid, I mean, 75% of children, you know, who are feeling stressed out uh, while the school is is saying, you know, nothing to see here, all the kids are fine, they're mentally better than they've ever been. What child is going to want to have children? Well, who's going to want to grow up and have kids anymore and bring them into this world? So it really does have a, a, a lot of far-reaching um, effects, doesn't it? Oh, yes. And in fact, it's one of the things the abortion industry is now using to push their movement. I've been writing, it's now going to be a four-part series on AmericaOutloud.com. If people go there, my latest article, which is part three, which has links to part one and part two, shows exactly, first of all, how the abortion industry is using climate change to actually um, promote their agenda. But also equally important, how the climate alarmists are now pushing the abortion agenda to reduce population. Okay, so this is quite an evil, um, you know, confluence of interests. Okay, these two groups are working together, and this is this is really bad news. Um, And and, you know, we're seeing this uh, throughout all of our society, and I think that was indicated pretty well by the statement. Uh, that the Ministry of Education in BC thinks that climate change education should be integrated in all grades and in all subjects. Like, what? (laughs) I can't think. Let them get away from it. But they're not. They're inundating it with them. And their solution, if you read further to see the solutions, the solution is to bring in more climate education. Okay, so it's completely backwards. And and I think that a good point for parents to bring up in parent-teacher associations is, look, why are you scaring my kindergarten child with climate change? Like, stop it. Yeah. Teach yeah. them how to have a happy life. And yeah, later on, yeah, get into some climate stuff, maybe in grade eight or whatever, but stop depressing them and point to this poll as, as proof that, in fact, that's what they're doing. <laughs> Well, and it's it's one thing to talk about the climate, but it's one thing, another thing to talk about climate propaganda, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard about. It. I'm just going to say it outright. They're wordsmiths, and they like to to weave a web. And 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 my mom and dad used to call this uh, verbal diarrhea. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I mean, it's a very crude way of saying it, but you know, that's what they're they're spewing. This is utter nonsense. And yeah. it's very effectively, though, scaring the bejeebers out of our kids. Those kids are also, um, as one of the testimonies that you had up from that young person, uh, he was like, wait, we've got to do something about this. They get in the car with uh, their mom or dad picking them up after school, and they start blaming them for what they've done to the parent. And, yeah. and this is, and this is one have- of the... They don't want to have their own children either. Um, and, and of course, it's not just the propaganda. It's they're pushing them to be climate activists. OK, that's yeah. what they're really doing. And you see that repeatedly through the curriculum of the different courses. You know, how would you redesign a community, et cetera? No, come on, stop it. If you want to teach them science, that's fine. And it's bad enough that it's propaganda. But they're also teaching them to be activists. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a it's a Marxist agenda. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why we've been pushing so hard against one of those agendas is the radical LGBTQ, the SOGI, all of these lies and misinformation and uh, the victimization of certain individuals, because that's the way they they pull on the heartstrings of uh, Canadians. Right. And they use our own virtues as a nation against us of us being hospitable and kind and all the rest of it. But now they're using the psychological warfare on our kids. And that's why we're saying just pull them out. And then if we, I don't say if, it's when we pull down the SOGI resource. And I do believe we're going to do it because it's so evident that they're sexualizing our children. And this is against the law. They're grooming them. And then with that, the climate change is going to come down. And then in a few weeks, David Haskell is going to come on and we're going to be talking about critical race theory. Because that's another part of the agenda where they are just completely, like you say, creating activists all based on a foundation of nonsense, non-science and uh, fear. Yeah. And, and, you know, a thing that the parents might want to bring up in school board meetings is start out by asking them, do you think in science classes and without referencing the climate issue, do you think in science classes we should be encouraging students to be activists for a political cause? And of course, they'll say no. And then you say, but you're doing that right here. Here's some evidence. <laughs> Why are you doing it? So, I mean, the whole concept that science is teaching them to be activists, I mean, that's just totally wrong. And and I don't honestly think they should be teaching them to be activists in any course about any issue. I mean, they should be educating them and exposing them to points of view and, and uh, encouraging them to think for themselves. You know, it's interesting. The school board in, or the school ministry in um, education ministry in BC, one of the core objectives of virtually all the science courses is critical thinking. But then they erase critical thinking. So so that's another thing you could do. You could go to the microphone in front of a school board and say, look, and you read out the objectives, critical thinking, you know, consider all points of view, et cetera, et cetera. Then why aren't you doing it? <laughs> you know, so they're violating their own basic education principles. Well, it's it's interesting, right? Because there's a couple of uh, things that I've been facing in this last while. Uh, one is with uh, the Mission School Board, who banned Action for Canada for a year. And uh, I, we're going to be challenging that decision. They'd be wise just to overturn it because it's illegal, it's unlawful, it's founded again on uh, no real... Uh, they said we, we caused trauma to the uh, community but it was the radical LGBTQ activists that were attending these adults who are losing grip and ground because the truth is coming out. So we didn't yeah. cause trauma to anybody. We're, we're interrupting uh, their agenda to groom our children. And so Mr. Carnes is one of the ones that's all on the gravy train about the SOGI and making all these minority of the population. There was no trans kids in the school before all of this. And, and so he wanted all the children to walk to school right? To go green. And well, if you knew mission, they've got a really big problem with drugs and the rest of it. And then he makes yeah. this comment about um, educating global citizens. And I want everybody to get familiar with that because that's, that's the new thing in Canada is we're educating global citizens. And so I addressed that and it said, no, sir, we're not. We are uh, educating Canadian citizens, uh, Canadian sovereign citizens based on the Charter of Rights, the Constitution and our criminal code. And uh, so anyways, the other scenario is I was having a conversation with the RCMP officer that had filed uh, my complaint to investigate the pornographic 
books in Chilliwack. And he makes a comment because I'm like saying, oh, so are you saying it's not a criminal offense in Canada for a father to rape his uh, seven-year-old daughter and commit incest? Because that's, of course, the pornographic book identical. And so he wouldn't answer the question. And so then, uh, you know, he talks about the books and he says, well, we're not the moral police. And I'm just like, if you look there at the criminal code, there is yeah, the there corruption of the morals of minors. You bet you are. So yeah. when you're talking about the critical thinking of our children, it has to be based on morality and it has to be based on reality and science. And so, yeah, it's a real mess right now that we've got uh, yeah. going on. Yeah, well, it's so great that you're standing up for so many issues. I don't know how you can keep track of it. I heard something. I know this isn't climate, but. I heard something from Jordan Peterson I thought made a lot of sense on the whole issue of transgender. He said, you know, why don't we just accept that within the male population, there's a certain range of femininity, and within the female population, there's a certain range of masculinity, and that that's normal. He said, you don't have to carve people up. Right. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, and, and we knew growing up there were tomboys, okay, among the girls who play basketball with the boys and beat them often. And there were guys who were, you know, quite effeminate. And but that's fine. You know, like, why do you have to actually have surgery? It's ridiculous. And yeah. that to me, you know, I, I'm not really into that issue as, as a concern because you can't be into everything. But when I heard him say that, I said, yeah, that's the right. But obviously, just accept that there's a range of, you know, genders within a gender, so to speak. I mean, there's a range of femininity and masculinity and, and that that's yeah. OK. It's normal. Yeah, there's two two genders. There's two sexes, male and female, and how people feel is like a completely different yeah. thing. But let me get to a couple of the questions that people are posing here. Some of them, I don't know where you stand on those things. I know there's a lot of people, several people who are asking about chemtrails and the things they're spraying in the environment and blocking the sun. Um, do you have a? Do you feel or see that that's causing a change to our environment? It's not something I, I'm ready to talk about because, quite frankly, we have some of our science advisors say, no, it's just a normal effluence from gas turbines. And, and I know, for example, I used to work with gas turbines that if they're not properly tuned and they're not operating properly, if they're incomplete combustion, they often put out not just vapor trails, but also pollution trails. So I, I hear and understand those scientists, but then I hear other scientists who are equally credible saying that they're doing it to help cool the planet, you know, which actually... You know, it's interesting because in the United States, there's a company where you can actually pay them to dump a certain amount, certain number of pounds of aerosol into the atmosphere. They put it on balloons and it goes up high to supposedly help cool the planet to compensate for your carbon dioxide emissions. So believe it or not, they actually are doing it now. And, and I think this whole concept of geoengineering, it, and, and for that reason, I think, you know, people are concerned about chemtrails. It's really worth investigating and it's something I have to look into more. But the whole concept of geoengineering is very problematic because the truth is we don't actually know if it's going to warm or cool in the future. OK, and if it's going to cool and Russians, Russian scientists at the Polkovo Observatory near St. Petersburg who study the sun, they say the sun's going into a grand solar minimum around 2060. And that will be far more influential than any greenhouse warming that we're causing. And so if you purposely cool the Earth, uh, you could trip us into the next glacial period. Because think about it. I mean, we're generally, geologically speaking, we're near the end of the interglacial. Okay, so it may come in a thousand years. Who knows? But if we're purposely cooling the planet and we're already heading into a cooling phase, 
this could really, as I say, it could trip us into the next glacial period, or at least a little ice age. And that, as we know from history, is far, far, far more dangerous than any warming. In fact, the Lancet, the, the medical journal, uh, did a massive study across many countries and found that 20 times more people die from the cold than do from the heat. Okay, so the last thing you want to do is to artificially cool the earth when the earth may be entering into a cooling period naturally. So I'm not belittling the people concerned about climate, uh, sorry, chemtrails, because the whole concept of geoengineering reminds me of as if you took the back off your computer and gave tools to a five-year-old and asked them to fix it while the computer was on. I mean, it more likely they would electrocute themselves versus fixing the computer. And when we start trying to change climate, you know, we're really inviting a super disaster. You know, they in the 1970s, they were talking about global cooling being the big threat, and they wanted to dump lap blank or, or black, lamp, lamp black. That's right, lamp black. It's a carbon, basically. They wanted to dump it all over glaciers in Greenland, for example, to try to help them melt more because they were afraid of global cooling. And of course, it turned around and the earth started to warm again. And by the 1990s, the sun was brighter than it had been in thousands of years. And so we had significant warming, which, by the way, has now pretty well stopped. Um, so if they had done that at that time, who knows what would have happened? Because, of course, mm -hmm. the cooling stopped and they would have been perhaps pushing us further into cooling. So, yeah, I think it's important to look into the chemtrails issue. And maybe by the next time I talk to you, I'll be able to give you a conclusion. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Tom. I think that we'll take a shift and we're going to talk about uh, the 15 minute cities. And I just really want to encourage people if they have not seen the new notice of liability that Action for Canada has launched, I encourage you to read it not only once, go over it several times, multiple times, and then uh, serve your mayor and city council, your MP, your MPP, MLA, depending what province you uh, live in and uh, their title, and uh, get busy with this because it's, it's, it's again all of this uh, scare tactics when what they're doing is very clearly against our privacy rights, it's against uh, the criminal code, it's against uh, multiple sections of the Charter of Rights. And unless we adamantly, proactively get busy and sign these letters and get into our mayors and city councils and say, look, you know, as the last sentence, I'm just going to go to it. It says it's reported that trillions of dollars are being spent. And then the last sentence, I therefore insist that you, as my elected representative, abide by your fiduciary duty obligation and manage taxpayer funds within the boundaries of conventional infrastructure standards to avoid misappropriation of funds. Because this is robbery, as far as I'm concerned, pouring money into the toilet. Anyways, yeah. further, I, I insist you oppose any smart 15-minute city, C40 city initiatives as they put Canadian safety and security at risk and infringe upon citizens' rights and freedoms. And uh, when I say put Canadians' rights at risk, this is CSIS. This is intelligence that is reporting on this. They've advised the government of it. So any elected official that moves forward with this once this all begins to fall apart and it is falling apart then you will have evidence that you warned them and uh, if the opportunity arises we will be taking as many elected officials uh, to court as possible so let's at least be proactive and get ourselves in the best 
position and work to educate them uh, because as I've said in the report as well, a lot of these do-gooders actually feel like because of what the bill of sales they're being sold by the UN operatives that are preaching to them is that this is really going to be advantageous for the earth and for our children's future. That's the mm-hmm. lie. They're believing it. It's up to us to get into these elected officials' office and correct it, turn the lie around. Yeah, and I especially like the fact that you talked about the climate issue in your notice of liability. Because if you go back to 2016, when Carlos Moreno, uh, he's a, he was from Colombia, he's now a professor in France, when he introduced the concept of 15-minute cities, which, by the way, were actually tried out by the Soviet Union, <laughs> they failed, but regardless... Uh, his main motivation for the 15-minute cities, and this is in 2016, was in fact the climate issue. And he said that the 15-minute cities would require a completely new economic model, okay? Now, you have to then say, well, who's promoting this? Well, it's supported by groups which actually want the UN's uh, SDG, that's um, Sustainable Development Goals, the, the 17 of them, they want those to be enforced by 2013, And of course, the real objective of all these things is to control citizens. The major promoter right now of the 15-minute cities is the C40s group. Well, C40, it's called C40s Cities Climate Initiative. Okay, this is 97 of the largest cities across the world, and they're very closely associated with the Clinton Foundation. Bloomberg is one of the leaders, okay? And they are pushing all kinds of pilot projects in Portland and various other cities to actually show that the seat, that the uh, 15 minute city concept will work. And, you know, there's some really good videos. I'll, I'll share one with you. The guy goes through the whole thing and he says, well, of course they're running these pilots and they'll tell us that all the pilots work. And so then they're going to bring it in full blast. And um, just for people to understand this better, again, I'll share this video with you because it, you know, it's about eight minutes or so. And it, it really assumes a couple of mistakes. It assumes, first of all, not the video, but the whole idea of 15-minute cities, it assumes there's going to be 2.5 billion more people on the earth fairly soon. That's unlikely because the population explosion has ended, okay? And in fact, this is, there are many parts of the world where we're going to have underpopulation problem, especially among young people. Right now in Japan, for example, the death rate is approximately twice the birth rate. So, yeah, they're going to be in trouble in the near future. And it's it's interesting because Elon Musk, while I don't agree with him on the climate issue, he's completely right on this. He says it's not that we have too many people. We don't have enough people. And in fact, going forward, we're going to need more people to have the brain power to solve our problems. And of course, to expand into space and do all the amazing things that humans can do. But um, yeah, so this is driven largely by the climate groups. OK, that's important to understand. And I really like that you put that into your C50, C, uh, or 15-minute cities notice of liability. That's really great. Yeah, I thought it was very important, right, because it's one of the underlying factors uh, to motivate, uh, like I say, moving with the emotions, you know, of these elected officials and the do-goodery of they they always feel like, you know, they want to get on a campaign to do something right, but they're lazy. They are not doing their homework and not only lazy, but cowards. Because there are those that uh, they see social media, they see what's going around, they just got to click on a link to understand what's going on. And I think they're cowards. They don't want to be that first person to stand up on their board, uh, you know, because they're worried about the hate. But my goodness, 
This, this is for the existence of our nation in the future, the true future, you know, for our children. Yeah. And for left wingers who care about social justice, they should be concerned because different sectors of a, of a city will have different rules. OK. And, and so this is not an equalizing thing. I mean, socialists always talk about equalizing opportunity and wealth between rich and poor. This will actually ghettoize certain parts of the city in contrast to allowing people to go anywhere they want. And so you can be sure that people in rich neighborhoods will probably demand that they have different rules to other districts. So, you know, that's one of the points that was brought up in this video that I'll share with you is that for people interested in social justice, this does the opposite. It's going to encourage, you know, ghettoization of poor communities who will have lots of restrictions and the wealthy communities won't have the same restrictions. You know, they're bringing it in next year. I believe it's next year at Oxford, you know, and, and they're actually going to have automatic generation of fines if you go from one district in the city to another uh, more than your prescribed number of times. And, uh, you know, so. It's very intrusive. And in fact, it's all part of the digital ID and all this sort of thing. It's all working together. So I think people should really be alarmed by it and, and actually speak out against it. I mean, it's really none of their business what we do. If if we're paying our taxes and we buy our gasoline, we should be able to go anywhere we want and do anything we want. It's it's our well, life. The Charter the charter rights uh, says it, this is this is not something that's up for debate. I have it in every action that we send out. We don't got to beg, barter or, you know, anything for these rights. They're ours for the taking, but we've got to assert them. And we yeah. have the right to mobility. We have the right to life, liberty and security of the person. We don't need, you know, a special pass to go from one district to the next. If I want to go see my sister, I'm going to get my car and go see my sister. And uh, but if we don't all collectively get real serious and work together and be proactive and let the government know right now that this is not going to fly uh, because yeah. it's it is the silent the silent minority that have been working overtime, whether it's the LGBTQ, whether it's radical um, Islam, whoever it is, have been asserting themselves and uh, not sleeping and working to get whatever their demands were met. We're the majority. We're the yeah. silent majority. And we need to use our voice and Action for Canada is working so hard to give you the resources you need, but then you got to take it and do something with it. And Tom, That's the right. reason I love aligning with Tom is because Tom is, is, is very much uh, using the same campaigns as Action for Canada, going to mayors and city councils, presenting the information and having people show up with legitimate questions. And then eventually they're going to understand if they want to get elected again, they, they better start moving the trajectory of, of the conversation over to our side or they're not going to get elected. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think we have to remember what previous generations fought to defend. You know, I have this picture of my grandfather, uh, World War One grandfather. He's always looking down at me. Great guy. I loved him. And um he was World War One. He was in the trenches. He went through incredible times. He was left for dead in a trench, et cetera. I'll share you his book. He actually finally wrote a book about it. But um, those kinds of people risked their lives and in many cases lost their lives to defend our freedom. Most people in Canada, they won't even get up and argue with a school board trustee. I mean, he would be really offended by the fear and cowardice of most Canadians. And he would really, really like your group. <laughs> There's no question <laughs> awesome. about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, his name was Charles Savage and he was Sergeant Savage. He was a savage, you know. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, so his book is actually quite an inspiration because it makes you realize what previous generations did to give us this freedom. And we have to stand up for it. They expect us to do it. Before my dad passed away at the age of 95, he was in World War II. He said, you know, I had my war. You have your war. Win it. Mm -hmm. Win it. And I think that's the point. We have our war and let's win it. And we can. We can. And, you know, it's interesting how um, a lot more people, even in the government, agree with us than we really understand. You know, I'll tell you, um, it's not a secret because, of course, this won't be a secret, but there are people on the Ottawa Council who completely agree with us, okay? And they tell us this quietly, okay? And they encourage us to keep doing it. And, mm-hmm. and I was really inspired because you get the impression that it's kind of a monolithic left-wing woke bunch. But no, there's quite a few councillors, even in Ottawa, who understand, uh-oh, I don't know if I like this. So they're happy. Actually, I said quietly, they are, they're happy that we're continuing to do this and we will keep doing it. And, you know, so we give them the strength when we get up and we talk about, you know, proper exactly. report and real, it, it gives them the strength to start to say to their fellow counselors, do we really want to do this? You know, a notice of liability would apply also to the whole climate issue in Ottawa. In fact, I'm talking to Danielle about how we can take that concept and use it with our current councillors and actually at one of these council meetings to actually present it to them and say, you realize what happened in Texas. 700 people died because they were less concerned about people's safety and security than they were about making profits and, then, and of course, pleasing environmental woke uh, you know, climate activists. And if you do the same thing, you will be liable for tens of thousands of deaths because Ottawa's a lot colder than Texas. And also, Texas at least kept their natural gas. So even though natural gas went up by a factor of four, they still didn't have enough. And 700 people died, $200 billion in damage. You think what would happen to Ottawa when we get rid of all of our fossil fuels and it's minus 30, you know, you would see tens of thousands of people die. And so a notice of liability... Yeah. So a notice of liability. In fact, I told the counselors, you know, I've spoken to five of them separately offline. And I told them, you know, if I was a counselor in the city of Ottawa right now or Calgary or all kinds of cities that are doing this, I would feel personally quite concerned because following the Texas blackout, there are massive multi-million dollar lawsuits as well. Because people are saying, you know, my grandfather died because you didn't look after his power, you know. And so the city of Ottawa the various individuals should be really concerned about this because they will be on the hook since we're warning them. Uh, and of course, we have a full report showing the implications of their plan. We're warning them if they don't take action and stop it soon, they will be liable. Exactly. And and we got to emphasize personal liability because what they're doing is criminal when you are responsible, uh, whether you meant to or not, but you were warned uh, about uh, the death of others out of negligence, this would this would fall under uh, negligence, and and I'm sure others. And so that's why I want to get us in into the best position as possible, delivering these notices of liability. And uh, I love what you were saying about you know your grandfathers and how they fought for this country. And of course, part of the 45 goals of communism is to emasculate men and elevate women and all the power and strength of go women. And I've never been one of those. Uh, uh, the the women that supported that 
because I, I believe that there's the strength of the two sexes and they complement each oh, other yeah. and celebrate them for Pete's sakes. And we need yeah. our men to get on the front line and to rise yeah. up with their strengths. And your children are, are literally being uh, mutilated and abused in your, in front of your very eyes in the, in the school system. And if you dropped your kid off to school every day and said, Good luck, son, or good luck, uh, you know, daughter. And, uh, you know, you knew the classroom had a loaded gun with a couple of bullets in there and they were playing Russian roulette. Would you drop your kid off? You don't know if your child is going to succumb to the tyranny and to the pressure and be suicidal or decide that they're no longer a girl, they're a boy and go and have their body mutilated and then end up when they're 23 you know, uh, like I saw today, a, a young person was just in tears in their now their 20s saying, look what they did to me, like yeah, genuine sad. from the depths of their heart. So this is this is what's happening. And we need our men to raise up. We're not creating little uh, Greta's that um, are completely, you know, liars. And uh, boy, that girl's been abused. Somebody should have uh, rescued her a long time ago. We're creating those critical thinkers who can receive the information, make decisions for themselves, and instill good moral principles in them. So make sure you sign your children up for that. We've got to counter this, and we've got to create great leaders uh, with incredible voices for the future. So my friend, um, I know that we, uh, that was, that's been a jam packed full uh, time with you. Is there anything more that you would like to add? Yeah, I think one sort of um, kind of test I use, and you might want to use this too, is to ask what would previous generations say about, you know, drag queen story hour, or, you know, what would people like this say? And, and, of course, they were the ones that helped build our society to make it what it is today. And, you know, to a large extent, the kind of values that you're standing for are, in fact, what they assumed were actually fundamental to our society. And so, you know, it's it's weird because around the time of the lockdown, the pandemic, it's like all these things suddenly happened. OK, it, you know, the 15 the minute city came in really strong. And and, of course, all of this transgender stuff. I mean, there's so many issues, the mask wearing, et cetera. And I think that what people should ask is what would our past, what would our parents and grandparents say about these issues? And I think in many cases they would say that is completely insane. That is crazy. And, and I think we should be more candid that way. When we hear about drag queen story hour, you have to say, what? Like, that's nuts. Like, what kind of a parent is going to bring a child to a drag queen story hour? It's completely ridiculous. And, and from that point of view, I think we have to be more candid. You guys are doing that. You folks, ladies and men, are doing it very, very well. And I think most of our society should follow that lead. And really, as a gauge, ask what would our parents and grandparents do? And, of course, they would say, stop it. This is dumb. Yeah. Two, two genders. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Climate change, one degree in 142 years, and you're going to spend trillions of dollars? I mean, a lot of this stuff is so unbelievably stupid. We should simply call it that. And not be afraid to be, exactly. you know, be candid. 
I, I, I agree. Like, call out the deviancy, call it out for what it is. Uh, we don't need to pretend and worry about hurting the feelings of deviancies and these these crazy radicals who are harming our children. Um, I want to ask you, you had mentioned the articles earlier about uh, the abortion issue, but you've been writing on uh, pro-life movement and climate change as well, why people should be interested in the pro-life movement and that we're really turning a corner here in understanding that Canada is one of the only nations in the world world without any uh, abortion legislation uh, because of the mass immigration from India and Pakistan and Islamic countries, they abort baby girls, sex selective abortion. And, you know, it's, it's become a real concern. Uh, the government as well is the reasoning that they're using for the mass immigration is because we don't have, you know, enough birth. Well, that's because you're, you know, uh, aborting tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand babies each year in Canada, it's complete bogus scam. And, and we need to address this. So how are you addressing that? Well, you know, I had never really looked into the issue much. I, I mean, I always felt uncomfortable with abortion, but the Campaign Life Coalition here in Ottawa, they invited me in to speak about how the climate issue was impacting their, their debate about abortion. So I did a lot of research on it, and I realized, wow, there's a huge, very tight connection between the two, and it's really very concerning. And so after I prepared the presentation, I realized, well, I actually know enough now to start writing about it. So I wrote, it's going to be a four-part series. The uh, first three are done. The first one talks about the fact that the abortion climate industries are linked together and they're working together and, and how it's such a huge problem. And then the next three articles, two have already been written, um, actually talk about how to fight back. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and what I recommend to them is not to get into the advanced physics. Okay. This is very difficult. I mean, it's very interesting to read about Professor Happer, like you mentioned, actually, and the fellow from York University. You, you have that in your notice of liability. It, it's very interesting to read their work. But at the same time, it's also complicated and it's also difficult to explain. And so, so the focus of my articles was actually taking the approach of another group that you mentioned in the uh, notice of liability, and that is the right climate stuff. These are retired engineers and scientists and astronauts, quite frankly, from NASA, who actually decided to take a look at the data underlying the climate scare. And in fact, their motto is beautiful. It's, in God we trust, everyone else bring data. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so what they did is they looked at the fundamental data. And so this is what I recommend the pro-life people do is they actually look at the data. And so what I do in my second article is I look at the temperature data and I show that there's no climate emergency. The second article, which should be published right about now, uh, looks at extreme weather and shows, no, there's nothing unusual happening. The next article is going to look at sea level and carbon dioxide. So these are all data-driven arguments and they're very easy for people to understand. I mean, if you say to somebody, you know, when was the most extreme weather record set in the United States, which has the best database of extreme weather records on a statewide basis, and people would guess that it was 2022 if you listen to the media. But if they actually look at the data, and again, this is the empirical real world data, what they find was that the year was 1936. And in that year, there were 27 records set for most highest temperature, lowest temperature, most rain, highest wind, all sorts of things. Um, and those records still stand. In 2022, the number of records set was zero absolutely zero. Okay. So statistics like that, uh, and of course, temperature rise of one degree in 142 years, 
they actually, I think, are the thing to focus on if you're trying to fight the climate scare from a pro-life movement, because they're so easy to understand. And, you know, it's interesting because Steve Malloy, who works with junk science in the United States, he put out a tweet that said, you realize in the last 14 and a half years, I think it is, there was no global warming since 2014. That's right. Since 2014, there's been no warming. And in that time period, there's been a half a trillion tons of CO2 put out. <laughs> and of course, they tried to fact check him because he was getting literally millions of views. He had, I think he ended up with 13 million views. 13 million people actually paid attention. So they tried their best to defeat him, but they couldn't because it's true. Okay. We've had ever since 2014, there's no warming and there's been half a trillion tons of CO2. So that's what I think people should focus on. Bring up real world statistics. Go to my articles at americaoutloud.com and I'll send you the links. And it gives very simple arguments to totally refute the whole climate emergency argument. And then the whole reason for the abortion arguments that are based on climate change they completely fall apart. That's excellent. Yeah, I love hearing it. We're an organization that uh, believes in uh, life from conception to death. And uh, we also believe that God is completely in control of the climate, even if, if uh, you know, these... Uh, tyrannical forces try to uh, mess with God's design, they're, they're, God's going to make a mockery out of them. He already is because they don't have any data or facts supporting them. So we're just going to keep moving forward in that direction. We're going to encourage people to have lots of babies in Canada, but we got to make it, uh, uh, we got to, again, with the government impoverishing our poor kids, like they can't find a home or, you know, that's part of the problem too, is how are they going to support their children? So we, as this older generation, um, you know, our parents said, go out there and make a way for yourself and uh, buy a home and all the rest of it. But that's very difficult for our kids. And so if we uh, we need to be very serious uh, about um, procreation and helping our kids do that in whatever way we can at this point. All right. Um, so that's fantastic. We're going to make sure that when we post this video, we're going to provide the links to uh, Tom's webpage, but also when we created the Empower Hour, a lot of the links that Tom spoke about in his articles are within that Empower Hour. So you'll be able to get all that information, plus the drop down um, that uh, Sheila is so faithful under, uh, if you go to A4C empower hour under join to the chat links you'll also find many of the links that you're looking for there plus the powerpoint uh tom has been very generous and he's going to allow us to uh post that powerpoint yeah. as well just one quick point if you go to icsc-canada.com and you you'll see a little window in the upper right hand corner if you put your email address in there we'll add you to the roughly 1,000 people we update regularly we're putting out a, a a newsletter actually sometime in the next few days so if you want to see what we're doing, just put your email address in there. And of course, we always welcome donations because we don't have any government support. That's for sure. And industry are frightened. They're, they're not going to support us. So we rely 100%. on normal people. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Everybody, I encourage you, please donate to Tom. And you know what? Um, I, I always say with all the organizations, you know, if a 1000 people if 5000 people gave $10, I mean, you keep us going. And uh, you know what? So please donate to Tom. He has done us a great service today by providing this information. So Tom, we're going to look forward to have you have you on again, once you've done your geoengineering, just bless you. Thank you again for joining us tonight.
Thanks, Tom. Wow. Okay. I can't wait to get that message up and I'm going to ask as many people as possible to share, share, share it. We need to uh, motivate parents for so many different reasons to pull their kids out of the school system and, uh, you know, even to educate uh, city council members, etc. Ask them, send this video to them, this presentation and ask them for their comment. If they're going to just take one side of this propaganda that comes from the UN, um, I think that they need the, to do their due diligence and do their research. And I think that by serving them the notice of liability as well regarding the smart cities with what we've incorporated there on climate change should uh, promote a lot of um, uh, sorry, elected officials to do some research. Okay, so one thing I want to do before we go to who our next week guest is, I want to talk about Senate, uh, uh, the Bill C-11. It's gone back to the Senate. I haven't had a lot of ch time to oversee this. This is the censorship bill. And so uh, there was uh, amendments that were tabled and they were supposed to have been thoughtfully uh, observed by the Senate, but uh, dirty, rotten Trudeau has come in there, the liar, the cheater, and he's seen that he's not going to gain control uh, in the manner that he would of the censorship that he would like to see of Canadians. And so he is dismissing those 12 amendments and he just wants to go for it. So now the Senate has to either vote yes or no. And so on Action for Canada's webpage, under, you know what, Terenzio, I'm going to ask you to bring up the web page again. And we're going to look at this. So under, am I up, Terenzio? Okay, thank you. I can't see both screens at the same time. All right, so under elected officials, you will find senators. Click on senators. And then you can copy the whole list. You just copy it. You paste it into your email and you send them a note. Say vote no on, sorry, I'm ending it. <laughs> I always forget to tell Terenzio. All right, send them a note saying vote no on Bill C-11. This violates the freedom of speech and the rights of Canadians. We are not communist China, we are Canada. And Trudeau has no right to uh, see this bill through. So please make that part of your uh, business this week is, is to just simply, it's such an easy step, won't take you more than five minutes. All right, Trenzio, if we could bring up next week's guest. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. Uh, Glynis is going to be joining us. Glynis oversaw the uh, youth empowerment program from February to March. Again, like I mentioned, it will uh, uh, begin again on April 21st. And so we have three of the beautiful youth who will uh, be joining us as well. And they will give their speeches that they prepared at the end and a bit of their testimony as to um, what the benefits were for them going through this program. And uh, we've got Genevieve on the end, and Genevieve joined the program. We had Greg Gary on last year, and we did the youth uh, program, and it was just magnificent. And so this is a future leader. These are all future leaders, and we're so proud of them. So please join us next week. It's uh, going to be beneficial, and bring your youth along. I think they're going to want to be on Empower Hour with Action for Canada as well. But they got to show up, right? They got to show up. All right, the Bible verse for this this week, I think it's very appropriate. Genesis 8, 22. This is the New King James Version. While the earth remains, 
seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. As I mentioned, it's all in God's hands. Do not be afraid. Fear is from the enemy and all things good are from God. So have faith, joy in action for Canada as we campaign for this country and the future for our children. So thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you and God bless Canada. you and God